Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Turnbuckle Training. Introducing first your longtime fan, short time podcaster, and former fantasy wrestling hardcore champion, Peyton Old Wise Teeth Green. And his tag team partner, making his debut in the wacky world of fighting fools, Zach the Nighthawk Barlow. I like that one. I I, I will just say the reason why I called myself Old Wise Teeth is because at time of recording, I'm about to have my wisdom teeth taken out. And so we did it a little bit, the recording a little bit earlier this time. Although I feel like if we had done it afterwards, that would have been really fun. <laughs> and uh, the reason I'm calling myself Nighthawk this week is because we scheduled it in at 11 p.m. So we're burning that midnight oil. Oh, yeah. Turnbuckle training at night. <laughs> This is a show for longtime wrestling fans and rookies alike. We're going to take you through some of the biggest shows, matches, and rivalries in wrestling history, or at least the ones I can talk about for a little while. And if you don't know anything about wrestling, don't worry, because as you'll soon find out, uh, I, I might not have an idea of what I'm talking about myself there, friend. <laughs> <laughs> so, Peyton, what are we going to be talking about today? We're going to be talking about probably the most important – I don't know if the, the word important is really the right word uh, – infamous, uh, most well-known, most controversial uh, wrestling shows in history. It's really a one-match show, and even – The introduction of Hornswoggle. Yeah, here he comes. Good old, good old Horny. This is, this is a whole – this is – a Hornswoggle episode. Okay, not even joking, we have to do a Hornswoggle episode at some point and count up all of the people that have been swoggled Honestly, before. you know what? You're right. We do have to do a Hornswoggle episode. But first, we have to do this episode. Oh my god, Bret Hart gets woggled, doesn't he? Yes. The Montreal Oh my god, I didn't woggle. even think of that. Because of, because of the thing where he dresses him up, we'll get to it later, but he gets woggled! But yeah, this is the Montreal Screwjob, or the show that the Montreal Screwjob takes place. If you don't know what it is, uh, buckle in, because it's uh, it's quite a doozy, and it's where where real life bleeds into the, the wrestling show quite a bit here. And the thing about it is, is that this this moment is considered to be the start of the Attitude Era, um, because... From here is when we start seeing Vince McMahon become a character on TV. Um, we were already kind of moving right, and towards so, that, but this is where it really comes to a head. We have at this point, right, like I, I noticed in the show, we have attitude stamped on everything. But it doesn't really have its meaning yet. Yeah. Yeah, not quite. Um, if you if you've um, listen if you're a fan of the show if you listen to um, our very first episode we did Bad Blood 1997 this is the pay per view immediately following that so it's a month later so we're getting a lot of the same storylines a lot of the culmination of a lot of those things uh, if you'll recall the main event of that show was Shawn Michaels versus the Undertaker uh, the winner was going to be going to face Bret Hart at Survivor Series 
Uh, of course, Shawn Michaels ends up winning that match after Kane interferes, who will also see him here in a pretty pivotal, mat- pivotal match in his career, uh, his debut match coming up in this show. Yeah, and I've got I've got thoughts on that and just how wild the concept is, but we'll we'll get to it. So we open the show Survivor Series 1997. We're in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, which is a very important note here because the location of this show is very important to the show kind of all around. Yeah, this is one of those times that, like, okay, we've seen location be important a couple of times before, but never in the way that it is here. Here, it's fucking huge. I think the only other, the biggest thing we had before is when Steve Austin was in Texas one time, and that was, like, a big thing. Yeah, but this one kind of goes through the whole show, it being very important that it's in Montreal. We'll talk about all the reasons why it's pretty important. The show opens kind of building up Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart. And these two have had a rivalry going on years. Um, and the thing with Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart is that they did not like each other uh, at all in in real life. They, they were not fans of each other. Really came to a head when Shawn Michaels on... They, they basically had completely different personalities and completely different views of the wrestling business. Bret Hart's much more traditionalist, both in his wrestling style and in his view of what wrestling should be. You know, very he didn't like the direction the company was moving in towards the Attitude Era stuff, whereas Shawn Michaels is the leader of DX. He's, you know, mooning the audience. He's talking about big wieners and stuff like that. And Brett was not a fan. You of know, that. though, and I kind of, I kind of get where Brett's coming from. I really do. Uh, doing a podcast with you and Zach Denmark, where where we often veer into Wiener territory, I understand being the one man standing there holding your hands up, trying to hold back a tide of Wieners. See, you're Brett Hart, and we're DX. Exactly. You're uh, Shawn Michaels, and Zach is China. <laughs> He's not Triple H, he's China. Absolutely. All right. Which, okay, is a compliment. I would much rather be China than Triple H. Fair enough. Um, but this kind of really came to a head on an actual episode of Monday Night Raw where Shawn Michaels made a comment in a promo saying something to the effect of, you know, Bret Hart, you've seen a lot of sunny days, which Sonny was a was a women's, I won't say wrestler, but a character on the show. So he was heavily implying that Bret had had an affair with Sonny. Now, the real story, the, real, the truth is, Bret did not have an affair with Sonny. Shawn Michaels did, but... I, that is so fucked up. It's so fucked up when you do the thing, and then you're like, hey, they did the and thing. Br- and Shawn Michaels, <laughs> as I mentioned before, was a big asshole. He was on a lot of pills. He was not He was not a good guy at this point, and he will readily admit that. Some of this actually kind of comes up in this little promo where Brett says he hates Shawn's lifestyle. He calls him a degenerate. That's where the name Degeneration X comes from. Um... So, yeah, that's kind of what Bret Hart and, and Shawn Michaels are like. And so Bret was kind of getting fed up and, and seeing the direction the company was going in. 
Vince McMahon really didn't have anything for Bret. He didn't see Bret Hart as part of his vision of where the WWF was going to go. So Bret was getting ready to go to WCW, and Vince was ready to let him go. Uh, the problem being that he had the WWF title on him, and that's where we get into some of the issues that we get on this show. And, you know, that's the thing, though, is that I think that uh, Bret Hart would have been, and probably was for at least some time, p- perfectly happy over at WCW. They are much more his speed, and at this point, you know, he's been a wrestler for, what, 14 years, right? Am I correct about that? Uh, something um, like that. And, like, yeah, I mean, he's he's a legacy guy, and that's where a lot of the people like Hogan were at the time, so, like... It made a lot of sense, well, I, I thought, for him to to want to go that way. But to be fair, WCW did not use him very well, and uh, it was actually there he ended up having a career-ending in, injury. Uh, and Goldberg kicked him in the head, gave him a really nasty concussion that ended up ending his career. Um, oh, damn. Never, never He mind. did come back in 2010 and wrestle a few matches, which was very sad. Um. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. But you know what? I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be completely fair. It was sad when Shawn Michaels came back and wrestled at Crown Jewel, wasn't it? Fair. It's always sad when when old guys come back and try to wrestle. The thing with Bret Hart is when Unless he tried to wrestle Rick in 2010, Flair. he was not medically cleared to compete, so they had to kind of dance around the fact that they're having a guy wrestle who's not supposed to. They're having a guy oh wrestle who can't take any bumps. That is quite the challenge We'll get right to that, there. and in fact, it's in an episode I have planned about bad wrestling. But let's get into some of these Ooh, other I'm matches. I'm excited for that little sneak peek into the, our uh, future. Yes. Let's get into some of these other matches that we have on the card. We'll try to run through them pretty quickly. This is Survivor Series. I believe this is the first time we've done a Survivor Series Basically, WWE has a bit the big four pay-per-views. It's WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, SummerSlam, and Survivor Series. Survivor Series is always like the last place kind of one that people kind of remember the least. Survivor Series, really the whole gimmick with that one is these elimination tag team matches. That's always been like the the traditional legacy with Survivor Series. And I know that's disappointing news for you because you're not a fan of tag team matches. I'm not, and you didn't tell me that that's what Survivor Series was, because so I when forgot. I turned it on, I was very confused, Peyton. I, I forgot that that's what Survivor Series was. <laughs> yeah, you, you were confused why uh, the first three matches were tag team matches? Yeah, I, I, I kind of started to get it into the second and third one, uh, but the first one I was like, wait, I, I thought, this isn't how a tag team works. What are they doing? Yeah, so it's it's typically four-on-four, five-on-five, uh uh, team matches, and they each person gets eliminated. So rather than you know being one fall to a finish, you have to eliminate all the other team members and try to become the sole survivor. Um, this one, th- these matches all felt formulaic. So I, I want to say there are three Survivor Series elimination matches, uh, or are there actually four? Uh, no, there there are four. Um, there are four of them, and the first. 
two and even a little bit in the third one kind of follow the same formula of one guy gets eliminated and the other guy gets eliminated then another guy get like it's back and forth i kind of like how they kind of mix them up now where you know sometimes you'll have one team that just that just does a clean sweep and all five of them will stay in and they'll eliminate everyone else i'd like to see them do it sometimes where one guy ends up you know, going against like three guys and then having, and then, you know, coming back and winning it all or coming back and losing at the last minute. This one just felt formulaic, all of them, really. It was extremely formulaic. And, you know, it goes to the problems that we've talked about with group matches before, right? Is that you have a certain number of outcomes that can happen of like group gangs up on guy or guy takes out a bunch of people in other group. Um, and there's really not a whole lot there. It's either like watching a couple of one-on-one matches go consecutively, or it's a clusterfuck, and there's really almost no in-between. And it's hard to watch that four times in the same show. Boy, is it. <laughs> um, let's go to the first one. It's the the new Blackjacks, which is, uh, which is, I honestly, it's, it's Bradshaw, oh, it's Bradshaw and Barry Windham. Um, and the headbangers who we've seen before, uh, they're the metal t- the, the, the metal head guys who also wear kilts. We've seen Bradshaw before, but the time we saw him before this, he was wearing eyeliner and was also a Dracula. Yeah, Bradshaw's been through a lot of a lot of different things. You know, he's been a cow Here he's, just- he's been a cowboy, he's been a Dracula, he's been uh fucking a Fox News host. <laughs> Yeah, and here he's just a mustache guy. Yeah. Uh, and then we, of course, have the New Age Outlaws, Billy Gunn and Road Dog, who are on their way to joining DX. And then the Godwins, who we've also seen, seen then they're pig farmers. So we've got cowboys and, and metalheads versus pig farmers and white rappers? Yeah, and the thing is here, too, is, like, the team-ups don't make a hell of a lot of sense unless I'm missing something. Um, I, yeah, here it especially. Was, it was very strange. Well, basically what they did were like, okay, these two, this team is having a feud with this team, and this team is having a feud with this team. Let's just throw them all together is, ah. is my take on it. Uh, it would get really complicated in later years where sometimes they would, it would be like five separate feuds put into one match. Uh, uh, yeah, wow, Jesus. That's a lot of story to keep up with. Um, it is interesting that uh, they have a French ring announcer the whole time because they're in Montreal. So the whole show is being... because yeah, Montreal has to be extremely extra at all times. Yeah. I, okay, I understand that Quebec has a big French population, but is it so big that people speak French, like, predominantly? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I, that's what my understanding of it is, is that, like, most people in Quebec can speak both, but they just prefer to speak French and the real assholes about mm. it. You sound like a guy, uh, you know, getting real cheap heat at a show in Montreal. Oh man, I could totally do I could totally do stand up in Montreal like that and just make fun of them and be like, "Hey, French people." Well, and I'm saying you could like do cut a great heel wrestling promo in Montreal. Oh, you're absolutely right. Um 
I'm oh my god, I'm already doing the thing that we also see so many times in the show, and that's uh, America versus Canada. Oh feud, yeah, that's which we've talked about big here. before. Um, another big thing here is like homophobia. Yeah, I'm glad that you also have this uh, written down in your notes because boy, I caught that shit too. Where Road Dog says something about steers and queers. Yeah, yeah, it was very, very fucked up. Uh, that's not the last time we'll see some homophobia in this show. Oh no, it's uh, permeating the show for sure. Uh, there are way too many ridiculous gimmicks to keep track of. That's why I can't really take this match seriously. Honestly, I remember I kept zoning out during this match. Honestly. <laughs> I was zoning out during this whole fucking show, and hopefully my performance here on this podcast does not reflect that. Uh, let's let's go real quick through the eliminations. Uh, Bradshaw rolls up, uh, rolls up somebody. Oh, Henry Godwin. Um, uh, and then let's see, what's our next elimination? Uh. Oh, Phineas hits a clothesline and, and pins Barry Windham. It's really interesting to me that, like, these very basic moves are eliminating guys. Because they're trying not yeah, no, that- for this match to not last too long, so they're trying to just, like, get those eliminations out pretty quickly. Which always um, is like, okay, so we talk about this a little bit in the Royal Rumble episode, but, like, measuring a wrestler's power level is always hard to do because... Basically, you know, you can build a guy up and then use him as a measuring stick for how powerful other dudes are, um, which we actually see later with Kane. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's like, how much of a scrub are you in the WWE universe if you're just getting taken out by one clothesline? Yeah. Um, yeah Mosh gets eliminated with a weird move where he attempts a bulldog and Billy Gunn just like slams him off of him and pins him and wins. Um, the very interesting line here is King asks where Vince McMahon is because this is the first show that doesn't have Vince McMahon on commentary. Uh, and JR says he's a little busy right now. Basically, they try to explain Vince McMahon's absence here as like, oh, he's like, you know, trying to beef up security because Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart hate each other so much that they're, you know, going to be at each other's throats. But really, he's he's plotting. Yeah, he's sitting in his office and scheming, rubbing his hands together and going, That's exactly what he sounds like. Yeah, that's the perfect Vince McMahon right there. Take that to the bank, boys. Thrasher eliminates Phineas with a uh, top rope seated senton. Oh, hey, uh, anytime the headbangers are in any match ever, I feel like the commentary team is contractually obligated to mention Marilyn Manson. what the hell is that about? Just constantly. It's fucking weird. Though I will say that I do think, and this is hot, hot opinion coming in here, hot take, uh, the headbangers are the most interesting people to watch in this match. Yeah, you're not wrong, honestly. And then the outlaws are the ones who end up getting pushed pretty hard, but they're not really coming into their own yet. Um uh, Billy Gunn gets a cheap shot on Bradshaw, and, and Road Dog's able to roll him up for a three count, even though I'm sure he kicked out. It definitely looked like he kicked out. This is the first Montreal screw job. <laughs> um, so it's Thrasher along with the Outlaws, and of course the Outlaws end up getting the win um, 
when uh, Billy Gunn comes off the top rope with a leg drop to the back of Thrasher's head, pins him. Uh, their music doesn't even play uh, for some reason. This was a really lame way to kick off a pay-per-view. I gave it a uh, star and a half. Yeah, no, it fucking sucked, dude. <laughs> it was pretty bad. Um, I didn't care for it. I didn't care for most of these matches. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, speaking of which, this one, ugh, God. The Truth Commission, who is that, versus the Disciples of the Apocalypse, oh. who I only know because I saw them in the la- in the Bad Blood pay-per-view. They're the biker gang. I uh, I did want to say, though, in the transition between matches, we have our homophobia alert go oh, off. I, did, I, don't, when the, I don't think can, I caught this one. Yeah, we can see a sign in the crowd that says, Undertaker is not a homo. Oh, which, I didn't catch that one. Kind of a weird, kind of weird to put a negative on your sign. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I I don't really get that. Also, I don't think Undertaker is sexual. Yeah, he, <laughs> that dick done rotted off a long time ago. <laughs> you can cut that if you want. <laughs> no, I refuse. So, Truth <laughs> Commission versus Disciples of the Apocalypse. Uh, man, what do you think about this shit? I think that this match shows uh, something that's actually very important, because uh, do you mind if I spoil a little bit of the match? Uh, well, no, the, the match does that itself. Yeah, because I know people are on their seats about how Truth Commission turns out. So we've got this guy at the head of Truth Commission. What's his name? Uh, Jackal. Jackal. And um, so Jackal gets eliminated almost immediately because he's doing some dumb shit, uh, which you can explain in more detail if you would like. Nah. And then he goes over and he sits with the commentary team. So we've seen this happen a couple of times before, once with Steve Austin and once with The Rock. And they're able to get on Mike at the commentary table and actually, like, make it fun. Um... Jackal gets his chance in the spotlight, right? He gets his shot at commentary to to make his impact with his group, and he completely fucking ruins it. He is just so fucking flaccid. And honestly, the, the Jackal getting on commentary is really the only thing notable about this match. Absolutely. Because here's the thing. None of these guys... Okay, first of all, Truth Commission, none of those guys ever end up doing anything ever. Neither really does DOA. Honestly, like, this is a match full of fucking nobodies, man. Are you telling me that this match was dead on arrival? Podcast canceled. (laughs) The only person I recognize from the Truth Commission is Interrogator because he later ends up becoming Kurgan. Oh, not Kurgan. Honestly... Honestly, this started, this is like Vincent Mann's fucking obsession with, like, if a dude is big enough, it doesn't matter if he knows how to wrestle. If Vince McMahon can get hard enough for a big dude, then he's there. I can't wait till we do, and honestly, I probably should have put this in our bad wrestling lineup. Well, I can't wait till we get to do a match with the great Kali. Oh, man, I I haven't seen any of his stuff. Good, because he's just, the only thing that's good about him is that he's eight foot tall, but, like, he's so fucking big, his, like, body doesn't hardly work, so he can't, like, move or take bumps, like, so. (laughs) He's, like, so big that it's, like, bad for his health. 
big to a fault. Yeah. yeah. Too big of a dude. Uh, yeah, my one of my favorite things about this match is that the announcers can't tell chains and eight or can't tell skull and eight ball apart. <laughs> yes, that was They're fucking like, hilarious. It's either skull to me. or eight ball. <laughs> well, and to be fair, both of their names mean bald. <laughs> <laughs> because you know we talk about that all the time on here, especially in tag team matches where they're wearing similar uniforms, and we're like, we can't tell these motherfuckers apart. But here, the goddamn commentary team openly admits that they're like, yeah, we're not even going to try. <laughs> um, I don't really feel like talking about anything else in this match, honestly. Um, <laughs> fucking uh, who even won? Oh, oh, oh! Uh, cr- crush eliminated sniper. Here. Uh, and then Interrogator comes right in and just sidewalk slams Crush to win. So it was like, let's just show off this one big dude. Yeah, let's just, hey, hey, everybody. He's big, right? <laughs> he's, he's fucking oh, Can I tell you something? When I first saw Jackal get into the ring, I thought he was a fan. I thought he was a fan that ran into the <laughs> ring. Uh, yeah, I see why you could think that, because um, he kind of looks like it he does not really look like a wrestler he doesn't match the rest of the guys he was and he wasn't wearing the same clothes as everyone so i really just i thought he was a fan that just jumped in the ring but you know i think that this show is really fun about like the fact that it is pushing a lot of people for things that they never live up to or achieve Mm -hmm. (laughs) um there are several points in the show where we see people getting promoted that you uh, at least to my knowledge will not hear a lot from um definitely but it's just, you know, it's such a shame when, like, someone gets their chance in the spotlight. This was Jackal's chance, man, to win over the crowd and to make people remember him. And he just fucking beefed it. Yeah. Uh, we do a little segment er- uh, from earlier tonight where fans predict who is going to win between Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. Weirdly, a lot of people prick- pick Shawn Michaels, even though in- they're in Montreal. Maybe they just wanted to make Shawn look a little better. Oh, I'm sorry. I had a quote in my notes that I really needed to read about the last oh, match. Oh, go for it. Um, and you can you can edit around it if you like or do whatever. I just need this to be in the episode. Uh, coming from the commentary team, we're going to see great things from the Truth Ugh. Commission in my view. Yeah. <laughs> just wanted to get that out there. <laughs> um, this is like a sign of how old this show is. Backstage, Kevin Kelly is in the America Online room where they are answering fans' questions on the magical internet box. Hell yeah, baby. And Steve Austin's in there. He's like, huh, why don't you uh, tell those people in there, in that internet, that stop asking me about my broken neck. Like, <laughs> like he's mad because people keep <laughs> asking him how his neck is. Uh, and this is this is a real neck injury on Steve Austin. Yeah, and because right? they the show it later, ultimately... this is when Austin legitimately uh, broke his neck. Bret Hart tombstoned him and broke his neck. You'll remember in the Bad Blood pay per view that we did, uh, Steve Austin was on commentary during the Owen Hart match and and actually cost the title for Farouk and let Owen Hart win because he wanted to come back and and beat him for the title. Uh, but Owen Hart, yeah, legitimately broke Steve Austin's neck. Uh, but Austin still finished the match and even won the match. God damn, dude. That is just the the sheer um, uh, 
fortitude yeah. of Well, that. it was an interesting and, way. Know, the way they ended the match is Owen Hart just starts celebrating, and Austin slowly crawls and just, like, barely rolls up Owen Hart in, like, the most flaccid ending for a match, but... But, I mean, hey, when you got a broken neck, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. But, uh, they, you know, they and they make a point of that here because you can tell that the WWE here, uh, or WWF at the time, is in a transitionary period because they're sort of pushing this angle of, like, it's real enough. Um, yeah. Because they talk about that later where they're like, uh, they do this thing where it's, like, super edgy and they have all these wrestlers like, no one considers me an athlete. But I die all the time. I almost die all the time. <laughs> and it's like, you know what? That's actually a kind of a good point. Mm-hmm. We go to our next Survivor Series elimination match. This is kind of a continuation of more of the angles from Bad Blood. This is Team USA versus Team Canada. Um, yeah, man. This is, uh, this is the U.S.-Canadian War. Yeah, the fucking U.S. Canadian War fought by um, one guy from Canada on the Canada side. They do mention that there's only one guy who's actually from Canada in Team Canada, which Jr. gives a great response to when King says that. Or no, it's uh, King gives a good response to Jr. when Jr. says that, and he says, "Don't ever let the facts get in the way of a good story." That's the WWE. Which I think should. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Is that should be the WWE tagline. Oh, sorry, I stole that joke from you. Yeah, right out. Here, from say under it me. again, but you I had do it written here and everything. No, no, it's ruined. Yeah, okay. We get a replay of last Monday where Team Canada attacks Vader after a, a dog collar match with the British Bulldog. A fan named Steve Blackman interferes and gets arrested. Uh, a quote unquote yeah, fan. He, Steve Blackman is playing a fan coming into the ring. Steve Blackman was a guy they really wanted things from, but. God, they wanted Steve Blackman to be so good, and he well, just wasn't. Well, they wanted wasn't. him to be— Because we've seen him before, too, I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, they wanted him to be, like, the next Ken Shamrock and be, like, a mixed martial artist. And interestingly, Shamrock and Blackman wrestled each other or fought each other in MMA, but I don't think they ever actually wrestled each other because I think they were tied in MMA, and they never—they didn't want—like, neither of them wanted to lose <laughs> in a wrestling match. You know, I could totally see that, honestly. Um, but no, the thing about Blackman is that, like, sure, he's a decent enough, like, punch man, but he has no charisma whatsoever. Yeah, like, rarely is, like, a, a real fighter a good fake fighter. The only person who can who can, really can make that claim is Kurt Angle. Yeah, I mean, uh, Steve Blackman is essentially just Ryu from Street Fighter. Yeah, I guess. I never really played Street Fighter, so. Uh, just, br- like, black-haired punch man uh, with no personality. Um, apparently... He cannot Hadouken. Just just for, for saving his ass, Vader bails Steve Blackman out of jail so he can put him on his team, because that's how wrestling works. Um, Michael Cole's... <laughs> <laughs> Michael Cole's interviewing Team USA. Vader introduces everybody. He says they don't have much in common other than they hate Canadians and the crowd boos. It's so funny because, like, on this show, like, faces and heels aren't a real thing. It's just like, who's from here? Yeah, no, it's very, very weird in that regard. 
Did you notice Team USA um, came out to Kurt Angle's music? I did notice that, and I was like, "We're because I, I was looking for Kurt Angle, and I was like, no, 97's too early for Angle, I'm yeah, pretty sure. Basically, they just used that as their America music, and Kurt Angle ended up getting that music when he came there. Right, because he was the American gold medalist. That makes sense, I yeah. guess. Uh, Goldust has the letters F-U painted on his face. Apparently it means forever unchained. Goldust has a very strange storyline going on what here that I'm only getting in bits and fuck? pieces, but I want to talk about it anyway. What the fuck is going on with Goldust? Based on what you heard, give me your explanation of what the story revolving around Goldust is. Okay, so, and I, I want to give a, a little spiel here. WWE storylines are fun a lot of the time, right? They're like, it's a zombie, and his brother that everyone thought was dead. Or, it's a redneck, and he's fighting Vince McMahon. Or, this guy raps kind of badly, and but he's cool. And then there are the, the what I think are the weaker stories, and those are the ones that revolve around family drama, like Dominic <laughs> um, the in the custody of a child match. And uh, in this case... Gold dust getting divorced? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we just have to watch this man go through a divorce. Like, come on, Vader. Like, Vader's expecting way too much from this guy with a broken hand who's going through a divorce. <laughs> this whole thing in this match is just like, he looks sad because he's going through a divorce. <laughs> so Michael Cole's interviewing Team Canada, and British Bulldog, I think, is the one who says... Americans are all about drug crimes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not wrong. Oh, my God. Um, but yeah, no, it's like very, it's hard to find beef where there isn't any. So you really have to dig. It's just how weird it was to say and how weird he said it too like he wasn't real sure about it like he double clutched <laughs> the drug crimes uh. <laughs> uh, they come out to Bret Hart's music um, we get Mark Marrow and Bulldog Mark Mar- Marrow's another black haired punch dude <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought it was really cool he threw his do-rag at British Bulldog and Bulldog wiped his ass with it um, yeah, that cra- was that was pretty good. The crowd's pretty horny because they're just chanting chanting for Sable. Yeah, yeah. So Mark Barrow's like, you of know what? I'm going to solve this. You guys aren't going to chant for her. I'm going to move her five feet away. Yeah, he, you'll never be able to see ring. her over here on this side he of the ring. Moves her to another side of the ring. This is a hilarious show. I didn't realize it till I started talking. It, about it is. It. This show is hilarious, especially so, this match for some reason. I know also that, like, I guess Vader time was probably Vader's catchphrase or something. Yeah. But it just makes me think of that scene in Spider-Man 2 with pizza time. <laughs> Vader time. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, when do we get an elimination here? Oh, it's it's Steve Blackman's actually the first one eliminated because he gets himself counted out when he starts fighting people on, on the outside, which I kind of— This is so fucking stupid. I get what they're going for. I understand why you might have Steve Blackman counted out because unless you make him be the guy who wins it all, he's going to have to get eliminated somehow. So having him get— Right. 
so having him not get pinned is a good idea. I just I wish he would have eliminated someone first or lasted longer. To have him counted out first right out out the get go is an odd choice. Yeah, but he does get to like put an ass whooping on the whole other team. That's true. Um but it sucks because the whole thing with him being eliminated here is like he's new to wrestling. He doesn't understand the rules. But he's supposed to be a professional fighter in so many other ways that it's like, in what form of professional fighting do you just leave the ring? Yeah. Well, oh, man, I thought this was the one where you could just leave. <laughs> um, and then I get disappointed because Jim Neidhart gets eliminated second. And I'm like, okay, he's like the best guy in this match, and he's eliminated. Because um, because Team yeah. Canada is like, it's it's Neidhart and Bulldog, and then two two dudes that I don't fucking know. Yeah, no, two unimportant dudes. Um. All right, who gets who gets eliminated next? Um. um uh, looks like Mark Barrow. Mark Mallow gets rolled up by Doug Furness. Um and then and then it's Vader and Goldust, and Vader keeps trying to tag Goldust in, but Goldust is like, Nope, not having it. I'm too sad. Um He's too finally, fucking depressed to wrestle. Goldust sponsored just... by the budget in sweets. Too depressed to wrestle. <laughs> Finally, uh, Vader gets Goldust into the ring by slapping him and and pulling him over the top rope. Uh, So he just walks away to be sad (laughs) and gets eliminated. (laughs) What the absolute fuck? Who thought, you know what is a great storyline? If if one of our wrestlers just doesn't. Because he's sad. (laughs) Hey, I will say, Big Show got counted out one time in a match because he had to poop. Eddie Guerrero, what? Eddie Guerrero fed him a uh, a burrito with laxatives in it, and so he got counted out from his match so he could go to the bathroom. <laughs> this is fucking insane. <laughs> You're right. That one does top. That one does top. Depressed, depressed gold dust by just an inch. Shit and show. Uh, Vader hits oh a Vader God. bomb on Furnace, pins him, uh, eliminates him, and while the referee's getting Furnace out of the ring, Bulldog hits him with the ring belt and gets the three count. Wasn't great wrestling here, but at least they did something different than the first two. I mean, at least it was a little bit more creative. Yeah, and presumably Gold Dust just went backstage to drink a handle of Evan Williams. <laughs> no, Goldschlager. <laughs> no, he's too depressed for that right now. He can't even enjoy it. Uh, gave it two and a half. This one. Yeah, it's kind of shitty. I agree. Uh, let's let's do this one. This one's also really funny. Jr. and King announced the winner of the Superstar Super Supper. Uh, this person gets to go oh have my dinner God. with a wrestler. This woman from North Carolina. I didn't write down her name. I forgot what it was. But Jesus Christ, she is just ecstatic. Yeah. And she picked Steve Austin. It sounds like... Ha- 
have you ever listened to uh, like a nine one one call in like a documentary or something? Yeah, it sounds like that. She sounds like if it was not something good happening to her, and I didn't know that. I would swear that she was like screaming the name of the man who tried to murder her when they ask her, "Who are you gonna Who are you gonna go to dinner with?" And she goes, "Steve Austin." Who's attacking you? Steve Austin! (laughs) And uh, King is disappointed it's not him. (laughs) Which was actually kind of funny. Our next match, we finally get a break from Survivor Series-style matches. Our next match is going to be Mankind versus Kane. And this is actually Kane's first wrestling match. He debuted last month at Bad Blood, which we covered in our very first episode, Bad Blood 1997, where he uh, ripped the steel cage door open and uh, tombstone the Undertaker. Um, so this is very early in Kane's career, and we really get a pretty cool hype package for him. We see his debut. Undertaker is vowing not to fight his own flesh and blood, so Kane's like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to beat everyone else up. Um, eventually, he gets to Dude Love, and he choke slams him on the floor so hard he turns back into mankind. Which is fucking awesome, and I do want to talk about that in a second, right after I ask you, if you could take a wrestler to dinner, who would you take? Hmm. It has to be, like, it could be anyone now, or it has to be someone in 1997. Um, let's make it fun, and it's got to be from 1997. Ooh, okay. Ah, it means I can't say Hornswoggle. (laughs) You know what? Okay, I I accept it. I accept Hornswoggle, valid answer. Okay, Who who would you go to dinner with? Uh, if I had to pick someone from 1997 to go to dinner with, I think that I would go with Jackal, just so I could tell him exactly how big he fucked up. <laughs> That's good. Um, but no, I really love this uh, this this match story here. With um, you know, I'm a big Foley fan in the first place, so of course I love all the shit. And uh, I specifically just love the idea that, like, he's been forced back into being Mankind. Yeah, and then this is where he's, like, psychotic Mankind, too. Yeah, which is the best kind. The best Mankind. Oh, you got me there. Um, JR interviews him. He describes Kane as a brick wall and says he's going to waltz right into it, even if he dies trying. Mick Foley is really good at, like, doing promos, especially as Mankind. God, he's so fucking good, man. I was, I, I'm blown away whenever I see him do anything, and, and you're absolutely right. Here, as Mankind, he is selling it so well. He's doing so good. Um, and there's a little bit of a, of a you know, history here. For a brief time, for about a year, Mankind was managed by Paul Bearer, uh, the father of destruction, Kane's dad. Um... But after after you know Paul what's Bear, weird to me? What's that? That this storyline between Kane and the Undertaker, and Undertaker's like, no, I won't wrestle, I won't fight my own flesh and blood. 
It's so weird because, like, take this scenario and apply it to any other sport. Like, Serena Williams has a secret sister that she thought was dead but isn't that shows up at the U.S. Open to challenge her in tennis, and she's like, no, I won't fight my own flesh and blood. Which is equally weird when, like, Undertaker supposedly killed Kane. Yeah. What, what's with the pacifism now, bud? I don't know. I guess he just feels really guilty about it. Um, <laughs> so Kane comes out to his big pyro. He looks super scary back then. Like, they're really selling it. Dude, Kane looked so fucking cool, which is such a shame because of what ends up happening to him. <laughs> he but ends like, up not looking peak cool. Peak Kane? Huh? And he ends up not looking cool. Yes, he ends up looking like... He ends up looking like he's crashing on Gold Dust's couch. Um, but Kane is, like, so... Peak Kane is just so fucking awesome, yeah. man. I do hate, and I'm but I'm also glad they decided to get away from this, is having red lights on during his, his matches. Yeah, and I think there's a great line from the commentary here uh, where he asks, like, what's going on with the lights? And um, I think it's JR replies with... There's a lot of unexplained powers with Kane. I mean, maybe that's one of them. He just does so red like light. Flying. <laughs> yeah, Kane just emanates red lights because of magic. I really want someone to just go through like the lore and like tell us all the powers that Undertaker and Kane have. Yeah, what are their power sets exactly? I would love to know that. Well, I I know Undertaker does lightning. He's also possessed people before. Kane can make fire shoot up. And can also turn lights red. So here's the thing. If, you, if you've thought about, you know, to spice things up in your bedroom, getting one of those LED color-changing bulbs so you can have that sexy red light, no need to just bring Kane oh, man. in. Mrs. Kane is a lucky woman. <laughs> Actually, see, it's his, his name is Kane. Is it Kane Bearer? Or is it Kane Undertaker, and Undertaker's first name is The? Or is Undertaker like Mario, and his name is Undertaker Undertaker, and there is also Kane Undertaker? <laughs> uh, let's get back to this match. Uh, Mankind comes right out of the ring and attacks Kane, gets thrown into the steel steps. Kane eventually goes into the ring and does his big pyro eruption. Mankind clotheslines Kane over the top rope. Kane hits him in the face with the steel steps. They never say that this is no DQ, but I guess it is, because there's a lot of weapon usage. Yeah, and also usage of magic, which I don't know if that's typically against the rules, but I figure it would be. This is a no-magic match. (laughs) Um, If I see so much as a goddamn wand, I'm disqualifying you. Kane pretty much dominates uh, this whole match, as he should. It's his debut. you got to make him look pretty damn good. Um, Mankind does get some good offense in. He flapjacks Kane face first onto the steel steps, uh, hits him with a steel chair, uh, hits a pile driver in the ring. He eventually wants to go for the mandible claw, but he decides to put it on Paul Bearer instead. Which I thought that was fun. Seeing, I always like seeing Paul Bearer get fucked up because I don't care for that man. Um, uh, we don't that speak ill of the all. dead. 
<laughs> okay, you're right. Um, but yeah, no, I think that and this is what I was talking about earlier, where we talk about like a measuring stick for how powerful or a wrestler is supposed to be. Um, Mick Foley is someone that I think you can throw someone like Kane up against to show like. This is a tough motherfucker. Mick Foley, I don't actually, at this point, he hasn't fallen through a steel cage yet. That's yet to come. But Mick Foley's done all kinds of crazy shit, right? So whenever you put a wrestler against Mick Foley and that person wins, it's like saying, like, okay, they're pretty pretty goddamn tough if they can stop oh, this, this crazy motherfucker. Um, Kane sits right up, does the Undertaker classic sit-up, and that's also one of their powers. Um, he grabs yes, mankind on to, the apron. To no, to no sell. <laughs> he grabs mankind on the apron and just shoves him backwards through the announce table. Pretty, pretty cool spot there. Um, and then he uh, he grabs mankind for a choke slam, but mankind gets a low blow and then DDTs him on the concrete. And then mankind gets up on the apron and hits Kane with an elbow drop. Uh, he then goes to the second rope, but Kane gets up to the apron and tosses Mankind straight out onto the floor with a sickening thud. Uh, Mankind's really getting the shit kicked out of him, as per usual. Yeah, that is kind of his jam, isn't it? I mean, I, and that's a really great gimmick, I think. That's a really great thing to have. Um, though I, I did think that this was a bit, it was a bit short. It was kind of short. Uh, we get into the ring, and, and Mankind slowly starts pulling himself up, but Kane hits him with a tombstone and pins him for the win. thing is, you can't go too long with this type of match because you want Kane to just dominate, and, and it, you want it to look like it's easy for Kane because this is his first match, right, and you're trying right. to establish him as a monster. Exactly. You Like we were saying earlier, you're trying to make him look like Miles tougher than Mick Foley, who's already super fucking. I also tough. think it's so. Yeah, I get. I get. I also why think it's that. pretty cool when he first started out. He was using the tombstone as his finisher to to copy Undertaker. That was pretty cool. Yeah, no, that is um very cool, and that's the thing about Kane is that Kane is sort of a shadow of Undertaker. He's sort of a, a Wario or a Waluigi of sorts, and when you take him. And you put him on his own, and you try to build a character outside of Undertaker, then it falls apart pretty quickly. You get CEO Grandpa Kane. Yes. That's exactly what you get. And no one wanted that. Excuse me, he was COO. I don't think you know about that storyline, but they did a storyline where Kane was the chief operating op officer of the WWE, and he wore a suit and wrestled in, in, in slacks. And he had hair. And he gave his and he gave oh. his resume, which had a letter of recommendation from the Undertaker. So, like, how many times in wrestling that you can just name off the top of your head is there? Blank wrestler is somehow in charge of the company now. Bit. Literally, too much to even try to start thinking about. <laughs> um, I thought it was a pretty good debut for Kane Gave it a 3 out of 5 stars It was definitely a great palate cleanser From 3 boring Survivor Series tag matches Yeah, it's pretty much the saving grace of this show In a lot of ways in Insofar as good storytelling goes, you know Yeah, um, yeah, I agree We go backstage, Michael Cole's talking to Commissioner Sergeant Slaughter And Vince McMahon 
who say they have extra security tonight for the Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels match. And Michael Cole asks Mr. McMahon, who's going to win? And Vince says, I don't know. Oh, boy, why did they even put this interview? And they almost, I feel like they put this interview in here so that people could go back and watch it and have the reaction that I did. Yeah, no, and that happens so much in this show. Because, like, at the beginning of the show when they're outside interviewing fans about who they think is going to win the main event, and I'm just like, none of you, none of you motherfuckers know what's about to happen. None of you have the slightest clue what you are about to witness. Which, I mean, could you imagine how awesome it would have been to be able to say you were there? Oh, God. I'm I'm sure there's all kinds of people with crazy stories. Yeah, that kid that uh, Bret Hart put, or his, uh, puts his, like, little goggles on, I wonder what that kid's doing now. Probably still telling that sure. story. So we go to our, our final Survivor Series elimination match of the night. The Nation of Domination... Uh, Farouk, D'Lo Brown, Kama Mustafa, and Rocky Maivia versus the Legion of Doom, Hawk and Animal, Ken Shamrock, and Ahmed Johnson. Uh, Rocky Maivia, of course, The Rock. Uh, this is when he was part of the like Black Panther Nation of Islam style group um, before he broke off. On yeah. His Crowd hates The Rock. They're chanting Rocky sucks the whole match. They're chanting it when he's not even in the fucking ring. Um, this is uh this is not a bad match. It was probably the best of the elimination matches of the night. Uh, I agree with that. And plus, it has a special surprise. Oh wait, I can't remember what you're talking about. <laughs> Don't worry. Oh, oh, I we'll remember get what there. you're talking about. So, and I like how hard they're pushing the Rock. I mentioned this in the Bad Blood show when he gets a pinfall victory over Hawk, and he gets it again. He eliminates Hawk with a Rock bottom. Way early in the match. Um, yeah, he, he definitely does. Um, and the thing about The Rock is that you would think if he started out with so many people hating him, like, why did he get pushed? Like, why did they like him? But to be able to make people hate you is to be able to make people feel something well, about you, which is the core here's of the It's kind of the reverse. When he started out, the WWE pushed him too hard, and so the fans turned their back. They... He basically was like John Cena, the proto-Cena, oh. if you will. Well, my thing was wrong, but Peyton is correct. So when he became more of The Rock and less of Rocky Maivia, that's when people started to like him because he was, you know, counterculture, attitude era kind of shit. Gotcha. I thought they just didn't, did, I thought they just did not care for that man one bit. I didn't understand. Well, they didn't care for but him because they were Thank tired you, of him being, him being this goody two-shoes that was shoved down their throats. And then they turned him heel, and eventually, you know, he becomes The Rock. Um, you teach me something new every week. That's what it's all about, turnbuckle training. Uh, the next elimination is Farouk. They're eliminating kind of the big guys early, which is interesting. They're doing that throughout the show. Uh, Ahmed Johnson uh, reverses a dominator into the Pearl River plunge for the pin in the elimination. Um, Farouk kind of uh, stays with this match a little bit because he's the one who uh, who trips up. He trips up. Who does he? Who does he? Who does he? Oh, he trips up uh, Ahmed Johnson. And holds down his leg while The Rock pins him and eliminates him. 
And uh, Ahmed Johnson and Farouk end up brawling to the back. Um, but really, it ends up being Ken, uh, Ken Shamrock, who's the shining star of this match. And you know, though, the thing with... Uh, it's Ken Shamrock, yes? yes? So, you know how earlier I was saying that, uh, that that guy was Ryu from Street Fighter? There's a character in Street Fighter named Ken that is Ryu, but with blonde hair. And that's the same thing here. Mm-hmm. That's that's him. Ken, Sh- well, Ken Shamrock is like a slightly better Steve Blackman. Um, yeah, there- yeah. I will say he is he is he has more personality uh, than than Blackman does. As Blackman is essentially just a robot who can fight. There's a funny moment here where there's like some sort of weird audio malfunction, and the announcers are like, "Oh, I guess Kane's coming back." And then, they're, and then they say something like, <laughs> oh, no, that's our director, Kevin Dunn, who is actually the longtime director of WWE programming who people fucking hate. Really? Yeah, because they're like, he doesn't understand wrestling. He just – so he he just uh, – Just a businessman? He man? just does – well, he, he's the director for the show, so he's like punching the camera shots and everything. And so they're like, he just cares about TV. He doesn't really know wrestling. Ah. And also, uh, he's kind of like, uh, I hear he's kind of a misogynist. So, there's oh, that too. Yeah. Well, no, you're telling me. You're telling me that there's misogyny in the WWE? I don't believe it for a no, second. No, sir. Um, Vince has never once sexualized his own daughter. The New Age Outlaws come down to the ring wearing... LOD shoulder pads. Animal gets distracted and drop kicked over the top rope. Animal starts brawling with the outlaws out there. Shoves the referee to the ground. Pocket sand. Pocket sand. And so, because of that, uh, Animal gets counted out. Uh, just a repeat of Steve Blackman there. Um. Yeah, only with sand this time. Hmm. That's the sand is the true soul survivor of this match. <laughs> uh, Shamrock uh, makes D'Lo tap out to the ankle lock, and then the Rock comes in with a chair and hits Shamrock in the back. And I guess the referee's just like, uh, if if a referee is not f- in direct eyeline of a weapon, then it didn't happen, man. Yeah, no, it. <sighs> It's insane. I, I even like how the commentary team at a couple of points uh, in this show talk about, like, what, the refs? They, they got two refs there, and they didn't see yeah, I don't understand and this whole two like, refs thing. It was it was dumb, and I've never seen them do that before. Uh, yeah, no, it, it, it really makes suspending disbelief that much harder. Yeah, and it's totally unnecessary. Um... We actually get a pretty good segment with The Rock and Shamrock. They're kind of in a big feud, and they end up wrestling each other at uh, WrestleMania 14. Uh, Rock gets a nice float over DDT. Uh, he even hits the people's elbow, a uh, very early version of it, because it's without a lot of the theatrics. I don't know if you noticed that. I didn't, actually. That slipped yeah, past Yeah, because it was – I mean, he takes off the elbow pad, and he hits the elbow drop, but he doesn't do the whole, like, you know – Huge crowd pop, you know, like where he was really selling it because it's a brand new move. And I'm, I've am i heard gotcha. from Stone Cold Steve Austin that the people's elbow originally came because 
People like to try to get The Undertaker to break character, so they had The Rock do the people's elbow to see if The Rock could make The Undertaker laugh in the ring. <laughs> That's according to Steve Austin. That's amazing. I love I love the idea that like all of the wrestlers are constantly fucking with Undertaker to try to get him to break character. That's amazing. Ooh. Now that reminds me of the weirdest way someone's trying to get Undertaker to break character. Okay, you got to tell it. What, the Undertaker what is... is not afraid of many things, but one thing he is afraid of is cucumbers. So what? they just freak him out for some reason. So Paul Bearer filled his hat up with cucumbers <laughs> backstage, and he freaked the hell out. Undertaker is a man who is so into his character that Paul Bearer once peed himself because the Undertaker didn't want to pump gas because he thought it would make look bad on his character if people saw him break character. So he made Paul Bearer pump gas while he stayed in the car, and then he peed his pants. But the man will break character for some cucumbers. <laughs> Fucking cucumbers? I wonder if it I wonder if it extends to pickles as well. Or he's like, oh no, those are brined. They're fine. <laughs> I think maybe that's why cucumbers freak him out so much. It's like they're pre-pickles. <laughs> it's like a grape that's not quite a raisin yet. Or a cranberry that's not quite a craisin yet. Mm. No, but that's fucking crazy. What happened? I want to know what childhood drama <laughs> caused this irrational fear of cucumbers. Yeah, what was it? Did cucumbers kill his parents? No, he did. <laughs> so Shamrock lets out that big yell and puts the rock in the ankle lock, and the rock taps. Uh... And, and and Shamrock gets the win. This was definitely the best Survivor Series match of the night. The match as a whole wasn't that great, but I think I thought the finishing sequence between Rock and Shamrock was pretty damn good. Yeah, no, anytime you have the Rock in there, you're going to get something. You're not going to leave empty-handed. So I'm going to give that one a three and a quarter star. Uh, sure. Sure. I staunchly, I staunchly disagree, Peyton. That's a half. That's a half star. It's got a half star for me. Damn. But it's a half star out of three stars, so it's kind of like the same thing you gave it. Oh, all right. <laughs> DX's music randomly starts playing with their entrance video, and it took me quite a while before I realized that this is a promotion for the next pay per view. Yeah, I was also confused. It's a DX pay per view. Um. And the next match is uh, Intercontinental Championship, Steve Austin versus Owen Hart. Um, and the whole pre-match promo is talking about how Austin is a fighter, fighting through injuries his whole career. N- you know, case in point, him breaking, Owen Hart breaking his neck with a tombstone pile driver at SummerSlam, putting him on the shelf for a while. Uh, eventually, Owen ends up, that title gets vacated. Owen ends up winning the Intercontinental title thanks to Stone Cold Steve Austin because he wants to beat Owen for the title. Um, Austin does that really cool breaking through the glass panel entrance. Now, Austin's still pretty early in his career, but people really fucking love him. Yeah. No, he was just a sort of an instant hit, wasn't he? I don't know, quite instant, because he was in WCW for a while and... and really didn't 
do much. When he came to WWF, he started as the ringmaster when he was hanging out with million or Ted DiBiase. But once he becomes Stone Cold, yeah, it's pretty much right away. Yeah, I guess that's what I meant is like people just responded to the Stone Cold character so yeah. well. Um, um, it's it's cool how the crowd yeah. still loves Stone Cold even though Owen's in his home, not his hometown, but his home country. Yeah, and man, the Canadians love their hearts. Yeah. I mean, they're like, that's, they do to this day, too. Canada has the hearts, Rush, Justin Bieber, and those are the only things that keep them going sometimes. Drake? Oh, yep, they do. Oh, definitely they're big on Drake. Poutine? I don't know that. That's a classic Canadian dish that's like fries with gravy on them. Mm. King says that the doctors haven't given Austin the all-clear to compete yet, just showing how, like, oh, he's so edgy. Uh, and Owens where He had to sign a release. Yes. The, the WWE would not be responsible if he got hurt. Uh, glad to know that that exists. Um... Owen Hart is wearing the I Just Broke Your Neck shirt that we talked about in our Bad Blood show. Um, right before the match can even start, Jim Neidhart comes out, because Owen comes out with the whole-ass Team Canada in tow. Um, yeah, he's got his whole little entourage. And it's funny because these guys are clearly the heels, but their faces in Canada. Yeah, that's just, it's very weird the way that setting impacts this whole show. Um, yeah, Jim Neidhart sneaks up from behind Austin, and, and but he immediately gets a stunner. Uh, Owen goes on the attack as the match begins. The crowd is chanting, break his neck. Uh, yeah, which is pretty fucking and brutal. And when Owen attempts a pile driver, the crowd pops huge for it. Um, Owen actually tries to just hightail it out of there with Team Canada, get, get the countout victory and keep the title, but Austin has none of that, runs down the aisle, clotheslines Owen. They brawl on the floor before coming back into the ring. Owen escapes to the other side, and he wraps a TV cable around Austin's throat, and he's actually saying, hey, go ahead, disqualify me, because he's wanting to just you know take the title and run. Clearly heel tactics, but the crowd still loves him. Yeah. Man, they love their cowards in Canada. <laughs> um, back in the ring, uh, Owen has Austin in the corner. Austin gets a thumb to the eye and starts stomping that mud hole in the corner. Um, Austin whips Owen across the ring, picks him up for a pile driver, but Owen gets out of it. Austin hits a stunner and pins Owen for a three count. Really short match. It was like four minutes long. Um, yeah, it was. I think it was the shortest one in the whole show. Yeah. Uh, Furnace and LaFon try to attack, but they both get stunners, too. I was surprised by how short it was. But, of course, Austin's just returning from a serious injury, so they're probably not trying to make him go too long. Um, and, yeah, I, I gave it a two stars because, I mean, it wasn't really anything bad about it, but it was just way too short to really be more than more than that. Yeah, and the thing is, what is really egregious about it to me is that it's so short, but it has such a long build-up. Yeah. Um, it, it just, it was, if you build up to something like that, then I need the climax to be, like, worth the build-up. 
If they had not done all the building that they did and just had this match there, I don't think it would be quite as bad. But it's like you promised me something and then didn't deliver on it. Yeah, for sure. Here it is. We're at the main event. Anything you want to get out of the way before we get into this main event? Um, so I guess just sort of recovering where we are, that Hart is about to leave to WCW, and um, Vince has been absent for most of the show. Yeah. And I think that with those two things said, we can get into it, and then we can... I, I do want to mention break that it down. Brett is still still has about a month with the company, so he's not quite. You know, this wasn't his last night, um, right? But it would have been his last pay per view, correct? Yeah, it would have. And so, um, the well, you know what? Let's just talk about the match, and then I'll kind of talk about going into it. Um, we ba- we showed the exact same pre match promo that ran at the top of the show. So, uh, I'll just skip through that. <laughs> um, yeah, that was pretty weird. Basically, we just see how much they hate each other. Um, Shawn Michaels is coming walking from the back. He's also, of note, he's uh, still the European champion at this time. Um, Triple H China and Rick Rude are with him, but he leaves them in the back as he walks to the ring. Uh, a lot of signs that say fag in the audience, talking about Shawn Michaels. Oh, my God. It's... It's rough, man. Uh, it's rough. 1997 was a fucking the dark age. JR dude. at least has the uh, sense to apologize for the signs. Oh, I didn't notice that yes, he did he that. Did. But, I mean, I guess that's something. It's it's almost nothing, but it's technically something. There is another sign that shows that not everyone's on Brett's side. It says, "Why?" or well, maybe, maybe this is a pro-Brett sign. I can't really tell. It says, why wait, Brett? Leave now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's uh, The crowd goes nuts when Brett walks out. He's looking super serious. Uh, as you mentioned, he gives his glasses to a fan at ringside. Um, and JR says something here. He says, the smart money is that you will never see this match again. So they're at least referencing the rumors that, that Brett's leaving to WCW. Right. Um... And so that does get into a question. Well, you know what? I'll save that question for later. I apologize. The uh, The match starts with a, a big brawl. They go to the outside before the match can even start. Uh, Brett slams Sean into the turnbuckle post, into the steel steps. They, they tumble out into the crowd. Uh, McMahon and Slaughter are at ringside, which... Um, Brett would actually say he, he was like, that made me pretty suspicious. You know, why were they out there? They would never do something like that. They, you know, tried to explain it in the story. Like, oh, there's, you know, all this tension between the two of them. Right. Because the, the fighting outside the ring goes on. It's about half the match. Um, and that's where like, this is such a important intersection of story and reality. You know, um, to the point that, like, it's one of those matches that is muddied and is, in the story, supposed to be not 100% above board. Mm -hmm. And they're clearly telling a story here. You can clearly tell that there was a plan for this match to just be, you know, go a certain way. Um, Right. I mean, they're telling a story here, uh, which is so weird to me to think about, like, 
you know, they actually, you know, for a while, like, you know, Sean is just, is like, oh, I'm having a regular match, you know. It's, you know, they could have just had, like, you know, a screwy thing to start the whole damn thing. But they, you know, I guess wanted to give the fans their money's worth. Um, right. And that's the thing about this, is that this, none of this ever needed to happen. Um... This is, what you're going to find out is that this is motivated by pure cruelty and pettiness. I do want to get into, like, kind of your opinions about it, because there are a lot of differing opinions here, and I can, I can kind of see the validity in a lot of them. Um, uh, Shawn Michaels chokes Brett with some sort of, like, American flag towel. Um, uh, Shawn tries to pile drive Brett out in the crowd, but Brett... Backdrops him over the guardrail. Uh, Sean tries another pile driver by the entrance. Gets backdrop again onto the concrete. Uh, Brett suplexes him on the floor. Um, at one point, uh, Brett even hits Sean with a fire extinguisher. Uh, McMahon is yelling at them to try to go back in, into the ring. And they're just knocking out refs and, and road agents and stuff. Uh, we get into the ring. The match starts. The bell rings. And uh, and, t- and Brett d- it starts choking him with a Quebec flag he found, and it's like, oh wow, you could DQ him right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brett whips Sean into the ropes, and Sean hits a flying forearm uh, to just a chorus of boos. Uh, and then Sean starts choking him with a qu- Quebec flag. We end up going back to the outside. Sean gets uh, on the steel steps. And hits like a front suplex slam onto him. Uh, Sean even he grabs the Canadian flag and breaks it over his knee, and then he jabs it into Brett's throat. Uh, no, no DQs here. Um, yeah, this match could have ended at many, many points. Um, we uh, we get back into the ring, um, uh, and then and Brett starts uh, starts really working those legs. You can tell he's kind of working up to the sharpshooter. Um, Brett even is able to do that cool figure four leg lock around the, around the ring post. Yeah, that was uh, always, always a classic, always a good uh, one. Brett gets that figure four in the center of the ring, but Sean is able to flip over, reverse the pressure. Brett grabs the ropes and breaks the hold. Uh, Brett goes to the top rope and he jumps off to come down with a double hack sandal. Sean pulls the ref in the way, causing them to collide. And this is where things, the the I, I'm getting, I'm my heart is racing just thinking about it, because uh, the ref is supposed to go down for a while, but he doesn't. He comes right back up. Sean puts Brett in the sharpshooter. Sean puts Brett in his own move, and the ref calls for the bell almost immediately. Brett doesn't tap out. Uh, the yep. bell rings. Sean rolls out right away. Uh, the camera stays on Sean. Uh, in the corner, you could see Brett spit on Vince McMahon. And Sean... Yeah, no. And that's real. That's real. He spits... You, they, they show it clearly. Him spitting from the ring onto Vince McMahon's face. And uh, Vince McMahon trying to wipe it off. Uh, it is brutal. Sean is, is looking pissed. The crowd is throwing trash into the ring. JR says, talk about controversy, and the show goes off the air four minutes early. Um, yeah. So, um, 
So, do you want to break down for our listeners exactly what happened there? Uh, it's impossible to say exactly what happened, but uh, yeah, basically, Brett was going to WCW. Um, Vince did not want a repeat of what happened when Medusa went to WCW as the women's champion and threw the WWF Women's Championship into the garbage on WCW TV. Um, Brett said he would never do that. Uh, Eric Bischoff, who was running WCW at the time, said they wouldn't have let that happen, but I would never trust him. Um, And, you know, there's always been this animosity between Brett and Sean. Sean, multiple times has, you know, just flat out refused to lose. He would rarely lose to Brett. You know, Sean would always beat Brett. Uh, Brett would very rarely beat Sean clean because Sean would, you know, try to weasel his way out of it because Sean was part of the clique with Triple H and Razor Ramon and Kevin Nash and Sean Waltman, uh, all part of, you know, guys who were in Vince McMahon's ear. And... When Brett was going to WCW and he had the title, um, what Brett says is that he says, you know, I would be fine losing to Shawn Michaels. I would have no problem with that. I just don't want to lose in my home country of Canada. And so the plan for this show was for Brett to win, was for, for Shawn to put Brett in the sharpshooter and Brett to reverse it into a sharpshooter of his own and win and then either lose it the next night on Raw or give the title up on Raw or something. But not this. Uh, not not Vince McMahon. And what happens here is, is real. Vince McMahon calls for the bell. He, he, he literally, you don't hear him say this, but he says, ring the fucking bell. And they do. And the match ends without Bret Hart tapping out screwing him in front of his home country of Canada, in front of this rabid crowd, and Shawn Michaels walking out. Um, there's a excellent documentary called Wrestling with Shadows that was being filmed at this time that actually captures some of the stuff that went on backstage because this show goes right off the air. You don't really see much else happen. The people watching on TV are, are confused, although it's pretty clear what, what goes down. But the the wrestling with shadows will show backstage. Brett asked Flower asked Sean, you know, did you know what was going on? And he says no. That of course we find out wasn't true. That's exactly the question I was about to ask you. Is who all knew? Who all knew exactly how this match was going to go? Did the commentary table know? Uh, clearly Vince knew, and it kind of seems like Slaughter might I have known. I don't think Slaughter knew, but I think Slaughter was just a figurehead. So I think the only people who kn- Slaughter was just a character on on screen. Uh, I think the only people who really knew were Vince McMahon, Shawn Michaels, uh, road agents Pat Patterson and Jerry Briscoe, um, possibly Triple H. I'm not really sure, and then Earl Hebner, the referee. Uh, but he says he didn't know till that night. Uh, and so, uh, additionally, how long do you think Vince sat on this little scheme of his? Because it, it, was it something he cooked up there on the spot, or was this something he had been planning to do? Uh, I don't think they had been planning it for very long. I think what I think they 
from what I've heard, they, they planned it in, in a hotel room the night before. Uh, and God actually, damn. I'm reading this right now, and, and Shawn Michaels said that it was Triple H's idea. And the sharpshooter spot had been suggested by Bret Hart. I'm also, I was reading about this a little bit, and people warned Bret. They said, hey, watch out for this to happen. And he was a little bit nervous, he said, especially when he saw Vince out there. He said what calmed him down was Earl Hebner was a referee that he was friends with and he really trusted. But again, you know, they told him right before, hey, this is what we're going to do. And I, I mentioned earlier I was reading some, like, internet comments from when it happened. A lot of people thought that this was a work. They thought this was part of the storyline. Um, and there are yeah. actually some people who still believe that. Even Ke- Kevin Nash believes it is a work. He believes that this is a storyline that has just lasted this entire time. Dude, if that was the case, I would be amazed. And I would honestly prefer that to be the case from what actually happened here. Um, because it was just completely, I think it was completely unnecessary. And I think that it was done because Vince was being petty and he was angry. Um, and on the other hand, a lot of people are saying that Brett wouldn't play ball. You know, why won't you lose to Sean? Did you hear that recording, um, that is in that documentary of Brett Hart going and talking to Vince McMahon? I don't think I I got that part. Yeah, so um, because I watched about I, because I wanted to see the lead up too, so I watched uh, a little bit more of that doc. And he wears a wire and goes and talks to Vince, and he's like, "Hey, you know, I'm sorry it's ending this way." And Vince is like, "I'm sorry it is too." And they have this conversation, and Vince he says, "You know, is it okay if I if I'm able to walk out of this one with my head high and I'll give it up next week on the show?" And Vince says, "It's whatever you want to do." Mm. Um, so it doesn't really seem here like Vince isn't pushing for another option. He's not saying like, hey, well, that doesn't really work for us, you know. Um, he is playing Bret Hart like a goddamn fiddle. Yeah, and, and most people do tend to be on Bret's side of this. Um, but, because I think Bret was a uh, uh, professional enough that if Vince had just told him straight up, look, this is what's going to happen. We're, you're going to have to lose. You're leaving the company. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. I think Brett would have played ball. That would have just been how it played I out. I don't know. I don't think he would have. I do hold a little bit of responsibility on Brett for a little bit of this. Because I don't think I'm from here is enough of a reason. He's also not even from Montreal. He's just from the same country. Right. Right, and I'm not saying that he is right to say I should have won because I'm at home. I just think that it was wrong of Vince to fucking blindside him with it. But I also do understand Vince's fear of him going and bringing the title over there and and shitting on it, which is what other people had done to him. This was yeah, in a very and volatile time and a very like cutthroat time between the two companies. But, you know, he had a 14-year relationship with Vince before this happened. And that's one thing you hear when he's saying, he's saying, you know, I don't, I didn't want this to end this way. I didn't want to leave it all. Uh, and Vince says, uh, well, it's really just, I think he says it's Ted Turner getting between us. Yeah. Um, who I assume was the owner of WCW. I don't know. Yes. Wait, you don't know who Ted Turner is? Um, 
No, I know who Ted Turner is. I just didn't know if he oh, owned WCW. Yes, he, he did. I assumed he did. Um, but yeah, so like, I don't know. I think that the way Brett approached it, at least in that recording, seemed really reasonable. And Vince was a fucking asshole. Another reason people um, think that this is a work, and I kind of like understand where people are coming from, is they're like, what are the fucking odds that this got caught on a documentary? That is an excellent, that is an excellent point. But, you know, the reason I don't think it's a work is because um, usually, and this is how I think you can tell the difference usually between a work and uh, the reality of it. If it was a work, I feel like we would have seen Vince telling them to ring the bell. You know, we would have seen more of it. It wouldn't have... I think when something goes awry and something happens that's not planned, you don't see it. They cut the cameras away, and you don't actually see what happens. And that, to me, is how you know the difference between the two. They got off the air four minutes early. JR and King, they both say... Or, you know, the commentary team, they said they had no idea what was going on either. Um... Um, and that's absolutely insane. That's absolutely and then insane. The, the, the and fallout from this kind of continues backstage. I, I, they kind of touch on this a little bit, but but Brett goes backstage, uh, and, and Vince McMahon had locked himself in his office. Uh, event, like a bitch. Eventually he's able to talk to Vince, and he punches him in the face, and he gives him a black eye. Fuck yeah. And Vince has a black eye the next day on Raw. Fuck yeah, he does. Good. Um, um, but no, I think that, you know, you talk about, like, he was worried he was going to take the title and, and go and shit on it over at WCW. But, like, it, it, do you mean that literally, like, he would take the title belt over there? I'm, that's what happened. That's what happened with Medusa. I'm so confused about, like, okay, why is it standard operating procedure at the WWE to let wrestlers actually hang on to the title belt? Like to keep up the dumb. story, to keep up kayfabe, so they can walk around in public with it. Okay, that's a, that's a. a and good WWE point. did the reason. same thing. They did it with Ric Flair when Ric Flair came over from WCW. He brought the title belt to them, so they do that shit all but the time. I just don't understand why you couldn't have been like, okay, Brett, but we're gonna need a little insurance. The belt stays with us, you know. Like, I think there was a way to work I'm, this. I'm and sure I think there the was. Fact that this didn't. This a hundred percent didn't need to happen. Um, yeah, it, it, the fact that it was just so back backhanded with all these little fucking sneaky-ass plans and shit um, just makes me think Vince is, is definitely the one in the wrong here. Um, and yeah, I mean, I see, the, I see the concern on his part, but, you know, let's say, and maybe he had no way of knowing this at the time, but let's say that his worst fears played out, Bret Hart goes over to WCW with the title belt, Shits on it, does whatever, um, literally shits on it on air. Do you think that would have changed the way the rating wars ended? Do you think that would have changed that WCW ends up being bought by the WWE? What does? If he had, if he had done that, if he had screwed Vince in the worst way possible, do you think that fundamentally that would have changed anything? No, I don't. Uh, and yeah, I just think this was a guy that wanted to wrestle. Yeah. Um, and. Didn't want all the bullshit, and he got, uh, you know, he got screwed for it. And I think Vince McMahon saying that, you know, Bret Hart screwed himself is just fucking super shitty. I started, I, I want to watch a little bit more. I started watching The Raw from the next night um, after Survivor Series. And uh, 
yeah, Shawn Michaels goes and beats up a, a little person dressed as Bret Hart. Vince does the Bret screwed Bret interview with Jr. Uh, Bret Hart. Um, this took a while. Now everyone's back on on good terms. Um, there was a while, even, which is suspicious. Even, that's well. I, after that many years, and when there's money involved. And DVDs to get to come out, and Hall of Fames to be inducted into. That's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, it, but it took a long time. There was a time where Brett said, "I will never forgive Shawn Michaels." Um, he uh, Brett. It was. It wasn't until Bret Hart had like a stroke and Vince McMahon called him to see how he was doing that they finally started to mend that bridge. But Brett does not appear on WWE television until 2006. So almost almost 10 years so it takes almost 9 years before he appears on WWE television. Even that is a pre-recorded segment from his own home. Um wow. And then uh he doesn't actually show up until he gets inducted into the Hall of Fame, I think maybe later that year or in 2007. And then it's not until but 2010 I, that he like shows up on like Raw, and he ends up like shaking hands with Shawn Michaels and reigniting the feud with Vince McMahon and Bret Hart and Vince McMahon have a fucking match at WrestleMania, which is such oh a stupid God. idea. But right, so it does. It comes back around to be a work later. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, in a way. The craziest thing is that Owen Hart continues working with the company until they kill him. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, what? I said Owen Hart stays with the company for a while till they kill him. Till they kill him? Well, Owen Hart died because he had he did he had this stupid superhero gimmick, and his gimmick was he would be lowered down to the ring on a harness, and during a live pay per view he. It broke and he fell to his death. Jesus Christ! You didn't know that? I and knew. I knew that that happened to someone. I didn't realize that that happened to Owen Hart. Yeah, and they and they continued on with the show too. God damn! You know though, if like if I were Bret Hart, I would probably murder Vince McMahon because of like that's that's a couple of slights there, isn't yeah. it? Um, no, but this is, I think, like, you know, if Vince McMahon had an origin story, this is it. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that this informs his character in a way that he's really not playing, he's really not that different from who he actually is. Oh, for sure. Um. But no, what are you, what are your thoughts? I've, I've shat on Vince enough. Uh, what, what is your personal opinion here? Well, like I said, I, I, I think both sides have a little bit of involvement in this. I definitely think that Vince McMahon should not have done that. I, there was definitely a different way this could have happened. Even if it's, and it sounds like bad. Here's the thing. At the end of the day, I think part of why this was done because it's it we're talking about it. If this hadn't happened, if he had like screwed him behind the scenes, we wouldn't have talked right. about it as much. It's the fact that this happened no, and I on think you're live right. TV 
that is why it's so captivating. And I think Vince McMahon knew that. I think Vince McMahon knew, like, people are going to be talking about this forever. I think you were absolutely 100% correct. I think that when he did it, he knew exactly the kind of publicity it would create. Uh, He knew that he was creating a character there. Um, And so in that way, it was a work. It was a one-sided work. Um, But just... Man, did Brett get thrown under the bus in a bad way. And I know that, like, if you're sitting there listening to this and you're like, why does he care so much about a fake title anyways? Why does he care so much about that? I think it's less about that. It's less about the winning and losing and more about the fact that he worked with this man for 14 years. There was a level of trust that he had. And he certainly didn't think that he would fuck up a pay-per-view to spite him. And yet, here we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I just, I think that this, like I said, it was an act of uh, cruelty that was completely unnecessary that I, I think was done mostly despite Bret Hart. And then also, like you said, had the added bonus of generating controversy, generating viewership, and pushing Vince McMahon's character into the forefront of wrestling. Yeah. So I guess in some ways it was uh, it was good that this happened. <laughs> we yeah, it's weird because I mean it does go on to define the Attitude Era, doesn't it? It, it and it makes the line it makes it blurry. Every time something happens like a contract dispute, now we have to ask: Is it a work? The 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 screw job like. I guess references continue like to this day. Uh, the very next year at Survivor Series, The Rock beats Mick Foley with a sharpshooter when Vince calls for the bell before Mick Foley taps out. Uh, that was obviously a work to pay. I don't know if homage is the right word, but to to reference the uh, the screw job. But uh, and then. You know, Shawn Michaels, if he would wrestle in Canada. I remember watching an episode of Raw in 2005 during Michaels' feud with Hogan where he was in Montreal and they played Bret Hart's music like he was going to come out and face Shawn Michaels. The crowd goes nuts. And then Shawn Michaels is like, just kidding. Oh, just my to, God. to get heat, and it was huge. So, you know, that's all, but- that's eight years later. And the crowd in Montreal. Shawn Michaels put somebody in the sharpshooter in Montreal. People go nuts. They had Chris Benoit beat Shawn Michaels with a sharpshooter in Montreal just so they could have another Canadian, you know, stick it to Shawn and have him win with a sharpshooter. You know, though, that's so fucking... It goes back to something I was talking about earlier, but in that case I was wrong when I was talking about The Rock, but, like, Vince understands that the last thing you want a crowd to be is bored. You want them to be angry. You want them to be confused. You want them to be anything but passive. And going to these lengths to do that, uh, like you said, it's something that still can generate that heat. So I think that you're right. I think he knew it was a catalyst when he did it. He knew... That that is something that's a well that he can keep going back to and benefiting from. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and it's just a shame that it, it cost, um, you know, Brett the way that it did. Yeah. I'm reading more about this, and when and when Brett was inducted into the Hall of Fame uh, in 2006, he said that he would walk out of the ceremony if he saw Sean anywhere on on that weekend. And so Sean left the Hall of Fame early to to prevent a scene. Uh, and then he didn't show up at the WrestleMania show because he didn't want to. He didn't want to see Shawn Michaels. <laughs> Did Shawn Michaels, like, did, did Shawn come to regret his role in this? Yeah, he did. Uh, he he he, uh, he said that, and he, uh, he, you know, like I said, Shawn Michaels went through a big life change. He got clean. He uh, became a lot more religious. Um, he's apologized. They've moved on. Um. So, and you know what is fucking terrifying to me, or not not terrifying? I don't know the right word for it, but it doesn't sit well with me. Is that if Shawn Michaels is telling the truth, and this was Triple H's idea, Vince McMahon has tapped the perfect maniacal motherfucker to take his place when the time comes, hasn't he? Yeah, I I don't know if I really buy that. It was Triple H's idea, though. I mean, maybe it was his idea to say, we do it this way, but I think, I th- I think the idea to screw Bret Hart out of the title is, is Vince McMahon entirely. And Yeah, I could totally see that. That's very possible. You know what's crazy is that people, because like, people would chant, you screwed Bret for years at Vince and Sean and even damn Earl Hebner, the referee, they would chant, you screwed Bret at him. Wow. So. But then again, that's just generating exactly what Vince wants it to. Yeah, I think so. Man. And that kind of fucking sucks, doesn't it? That, like, someone can do something so heinous to someone close to them as a part of building their career, and the negative backlash is rewarding for them. Yeah. Here's a list of people who actually think that uh, that Brett knew it, knew or was in in on the screw job. Jerry Lawler, he said he found it plausible that Hart was working with McMahon. Uh, Brett Hart's nephew Teddy Hart, Demolition, Animal, Steve Blackman, Gregory Helms, and Sean Waltman. Sean Waltman even said he was bewildered as to how Hart could not have seen the screw job coming from a million miles away. Dude, if it was a work and he was in on it, that is the greatest fucking work of all time. Nothing will ever top it. Yeah. I, but I feel like at this point, it's kind of like people thinking that Andy Kaufman's still alive, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the it screw job. W- or it was an inside screw job. <laughs> um, I, we could spend forever talking about this but uh i'm afraid we can't we are going to eventually have to to call it quits on this one a very interesting topic uh, that's gonna about do it for this edition of turnbuckle training i want to encourage you to watch along with us so next week we're going to be discussing wrestlemania 17 
my favorite WrestleMania, a lot of people's favorite WrestleManias. It's going to be the first WrestleMania show we've discussed on this show, so I'm excited for it. Uh, can you spoil who the main event is for me? Uh, yes, because we've actually already covered it on the show. <laughs> oh, interesting. Steve Austin versus The Rock. Okay, but we're going to cover the show as a whole, so there's lots of fun to be had. Hell yeah, and we'll be watching on the WWE Network, but since Vince isn't signing our checks, and let's be honest, he's a gigantic bastard, feel free to find it wherever you can. We won't snitch. And you can always keep up with us 24-7 on Twitter, at Turnbuckle Train, and please don't forget to go leave those iTunes reviews. We want to know what you guys think. Also, go to Turnbuckle Train on Twitter, uh, slide us a DM, add us, uh, whatever you want. Uh, let us know what you want us to cover. We're working on some more uh, topics to talk about, but uh, we want to hear from you. Anything you would like for us to talk about, we're interested. Just let us know over on Twitter, at Turnbuckle Train. Yes, we ran through the, the preset. We had, uh, I think it was 12 episodes prepared. And then Peyton just texts me and says, I have more episodes for us. And I look, and there's literally twice the amount that there were. So uh, we've got a lot of content coming your way. And like uh, Peyton already said, if you want us to cover something specifically, we'd love to consider it. Just send it our way. Thanks for listening. It's me, Austin! The numbers don't lie, and they spell disaster for you as sacrifice. Oh, son of a bitch! I did it for the rock. For the bonkerest event of the summer, a three big dudes production, starring me, professional toe sucker. No, we won't talk about that, but we will talk about Waluigi, dog with a blog, the similarities between Alf and cousin Skeeter, and of course the Slither. It's feud fight where we take the wild questions most people won't touch and give our scalding hot takes. And I also say terrible things that could loosely be considered word crimes, just to keep things a little spicy. Every Monday, wherever you find your podcasts.